Welcome to the Skyline Church Podcast. I'm Jonathan Middlebrooks, one of the pastors here at Skyline Church. Skyline is a worshiping community, a disciple-making community, and a generational community. We're committed to seeing revival in our city sparked through the presence of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. These sermons are specific to that purpose and in the context of our unique community. We hope that it might bless you in some way. Enjoy. Christ in us is the hope for all the world. The hope to make Christ seen and known, manifested through our lives. See, he brought us into the light so that you could walk in the light as he's in the light, right? And then Jesus says, let your light shine so before men that they can see your what? They can see your good living and do what? Glorify him in heaven. So what I want to tell you if you're discouraged, the Christian life is not some desperate cry to get by. No, it's about thanking him for giving us this life by being an instrument used in his hand. He's given us a purpose and a calling. He has given us gifts and talents. We are because of him. We are who we are because of him. Now, Not all Christians today get this. And not all Christians in the first century got this. This is why Paul penned some of the most famous words in all of the scripture. In 1 Corinthians 13, you can turn there, you can pull out your device and go to 1 Corinthians 13, or you can follow along on the screen. It says, if I speak in the tongues of men or angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all the mysteries and all the knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres, love never fails. Where do we hear this most? We hear this at weddings, don't we? And a lot of times we're listening to the pastor and it's just like, oh. I can assure you that that is not what Paul was intending here when he penned this. And I can also assure you it's not what the Corinthians heard when they first read it. See, Corinth was a a big city. 
it, it actually popped up just a few decades before this letter was written, really kind of out of nowhere. I, I went on a mission trip uh, to, to India a few years ago, and we went through Dubai, and we actually got to stay there uh, for not quite a day, but we got to walk around the city, one of the coolest cities I've ever seen in my life, be, because all the buildings were new and modern, because this place had just, boom, springed up in, in, in just about a decade. Cool place. Corinth was kind of the first century Dubai, and people went to Corinth to be successful. It was a place of commerce and culture shaping. And you moved there from the country. You probably weren't born there. You moved there from the country to make something of yourself. And so, as we would expect, the church at Corinth reflected the culture. This was a very gifted group of people. Had great communicators. They had a faith that could move mountains. They had tremendous leadership. They could fathom all the mysteries of the world. It means they were brilliant. They had teachers. They were scholarly. Just an incredibly gifted, gifted group of people. But Paul said, and he's demonstrating here, that we can actually mistake ministry for maturity. See, if you read the whole letter of 1 Corinthians, or yeah, the whole letter of 1 Corinthians, you're going to notice that nearly every word that he talks about here in verses uh, four and following, almost every, every word, every phrase is used somewhere in the letter, every one that, that shows what love is. He's already explained to the church at Corinth, you are not. How does he know that? He said, because God is love and you aren't loving. See, he's already rebuked them for their quarreling, their division, their party spirit. He says, you guys are incredibly gifted people. Extremely talented, but your character and your maturity has not yet been shaped by the Holy Spirit. See, the emphasis that the Corinth church was putting was on performance. We can read into that here. It was based on performance and something that we've got to know that Paul was communicating to the church at Corinth is that a gift is not by you or for you. A gift is by God for others. See the difference? A gift isn't, isn't by you or for you. This is, it's actually by God so that it can be used through you for other people. And when we get this, when we get it right, we're actually taking a huge step forward in maturing. But in the workplace, what's it about? In the workplace, it's about, about talent. It's about achievement. Paul says, I don't care how rich you are, I don't care how successful you may feel. If you are irritable, if you're impatient, if you're selfish or vain or self-pitying, you actually gain nothing that, that really matters. In fact, he actually says you are nothing. See, it's maturity and character, not gifts and talents that are the critical piece. And Paul's experience inspiring us here to grow up, to grow into the fullness of Christ. Just a few verses after this uh, popular chunk, he says this, when, when I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put off those childish ways. And that's what we do when we grow up into Christ. We put off some of those childish things. What have you laid down recently? See, I think that most of us would agree 
that character and maturity matters. I think the difference is sometimes we have a hard time agreeing on what it is. So I just want to take 1 Corinthians 13, give us a couple things that maturity is not, and one thing that maturity is. Okay? Start with a couple things that maturity is not. First, maturity is not the same thing as being gifted. See, that you could, you could have faith that moved mountains. Scholars believe this is a leadership gift. This isn't about a saving faith. This is, this is about the ability to take one group of people who otherwise wouldn't be able to surmount an obstacle and get them to do so, right? These are great leaders. They, they have an infectious vision. And they had the gift of prophecy. This is more than communication. This is a direct revelation from God. He's not talking here in this passage about false prophets. He's talking about a person in the church that has really helped people. Maybe dozens of people, hundreds of people, maybe even thousands of people. They were given a direct revelation from God. He had used them miraculously, but they had missed the primary point, which was them growing up. And so they were spiritually bankrupt, gifted, but bankrupt. Jesus says it this way. He says, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them, Jesus says, I never knew you. See, it's possible to bear the gifts of God without being filled with the Holy Spirit. It's possible. It's possible to do great deeds of service to God without surrendering your heart to God. It's possible to do great deeds in the lives of other people without ever surrendering the throne room of your heart to the Father. Spiritual gifts, they're not the primary indicator of the work of the Spirit in the life of the believer. They're just not. Fruit is. Spiritual gifts are not. Important, but they're not the primary indicator. Spiritual gifting is different than spiritual growth, and we've got to remember that. See, it's possible. It was possible then, and it is certainly possible now to, again, mistake ministry for maturity, which is why we've unfortunately seen, I think, so many pastors of large churches probably small too, the large ones gather that get the attention, who, who have fallen. Whether it's Carl Lentz and Brian Houston from Hillsong, I don't want to give a bunch of names, but you know, Jeremy Foster. Jeremy Foster was at Hope City, the fastest growing church in U.S. history. And then one that hurt me bad was, was Ravi Zacharias. Maybe it hurt me because I put him on too much of a, of a pedestal. He's just a man like us. They had this great inspirational speaking gift And they saw results of life change because of their teaching in the lives of others. And and, and so all just assumed that they're walking with God. They all had talent and giftedness beyond this world, but may have mistook ministry for maturity. See, lots of talent with little maturity is the devil's playground. And that's not just a warning to the mega, mega church pastor. It's a warning for all of us. Lots of talent. Little maturity is the devil's playground. So what's the summary of this first point? The summary is that it is possible to do, 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 and not be who God intended us to be. So question. Question for you to ask yourself. Am I hiding behind gifting and talent? 
Am I hiding behind gifting and talent? But underneath, I am joyless, impatient. I do keep records, record of wrong, and I give up pretty easily. Second, so we see that it's, maturity is not the same as giftedness. Second, maturity is not the same as being good. Verse 3 has a whole different list of things, right? So the first were kind of these talents. The second one, you could just, you just kind of could hear people in the church maybe were saying, we don't need all this glitz. We don't need all this talent. We, we need goodness. We need social justice. That's what we need. We need people who will give all they possess to the poor out of their great gift of generosity and social conscience. Or no, no, no. What we need here is people who will give their bodies over to the flame in, in martyrdom. That's what we need. And so I think that begs the question. So is it that gifts and talents don't matter, but virtuous behavior is what matters? Paul says no. No. You can actually still have goodness and not be mature. What? What's he getting at here? See, Paul is, is really in this passage. He's going very deep. He can say, you can look at all the virtue lists that you want to. Aristotle's cardinal virtues were around at that time. You can look at prudence and justice and fortitude and temperance, and you can have all that and still not get down to a heart level because Paul knows what you and I know, right? You can do certain behaviors for two very different motives, right? It's possible to look highly virtuous with your time and with your resources and do it from a selfish motive. And this time he doesn't say that, that, that I am nothing. He says this time you gain nothing. The word there just simply means to count. We can do all these virtuous things and still not really count, not merit anything that's, that's lasting. We can actually even give ourselves away to somebody and still not do it with love. So what's a common sense definition of love? Common sense definition of love, to serve other people instead of yourself. To serve other people instead of yourself. So just take one of the things out of 1 Corinthians 13. If you are kind to someone in order to count, in order to get something in return, it's about you. There's no real love in that, right? Love is ascribing worth to another at cost to yourself. That's what this word is getting at. It's the word agape. It's not used all throughout the Bible. There's all, kind, all four different Greek words are used. But here he's talking about agape love. And agape love is without any conditions, and it's always self-sacrificial. The Bible refers to this kind of love. Every time he says love is this, love is this, love is this, it's that word. And, and the Bible uses this, this word to describe what God is. 1 John 4. And not only what God is, but what God shows, John 3.16. And not only what God is and what God shows, it's the same word that, that, that God gives to manifest his Holy Spirit, Galatians chapter 5, right? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. And scholars believe that the fruit of the Spirit is love, period, and then all the other ones patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control, those are all a subset, a reflection of love. 
But Paul makes it clear right here that, that it is possible to act loving without love. So how will we know if it's really about me and not about God or not about other people? Questions we've got to ask ourselves here on this one. What is my motive really? What's driving this action really? And then secondly, does, does my love look like Jesus' love? Does my version of loving spouse, neighbor, friend, enemy, does it, does it look like Jesus' love? Because real love is not based on us, never is, and it never gives up, and it never fails. How, how often do we see love between two people turn pretty quickly to disdain? It's because it's not about the, it's not about the other person, it's about them. So now I think you can see why the church at Corinth wasn't going, aw. They were going, ooh. So, maturity, not the same as giftedness. Maturity is not the same as goodness. So what is it? Maturity is about growing in grace. That's what it's about. It's about growing in God's grace. See, inner character comes from a, a, a change, a complete change on how we approach uh, God and interact with him. So what's this gonging, uh, this gonging, clanging symbol all about at the first? See, that was what pagan religions did in their temple worship, right? They would bound the, uh, bang the, the gong and clang the cymbals and create a commotion and they would have smoke and lights. Why? Because they had to please their God. They had to attract him. And so it was, an, it was a spectacle. It was this pageantry. The gods needed to be impressed. And so the temptation is that can leak into our lives as well and cause us to pretend. And so we can act Christian-y without being Christian. It's possible to read the Bible, have a quiet time. It's possible to lead a Bible study, work in the children's ministry, and to do so without a fundamental change to your character due to your intimate relationship with Holy Spirit. We can even talk to other people about Jesus, and it'd be nothing more than clanging cymbals if we're not spending time and being filled up by him ourselves. That makes sense? Christianity works diametrically different than all the other world religions on how it relates to God. But it's easy to act like the pagan religions and say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do all of these things so that God will notice me and I will count and I will gain something. You feel that temptation from time to time? Christianity allows us to understand who we are and whose we are, and it's out of that that motivates us to actually do something, to actually use the gifts that he's given us. It's not so that we can fill some emptiness or, or longing inside to make a difference or to count or be noticed. We are to, to live not in response to an emptiness, but to a fullness. We don't serve, we don't leverage our gifts in order to get filled up and feel good about ourselves. No, we actually use our talents and 
giftedness as an overflow. It's like a funnel, right? We're just capturing his grace and love and mercy, just letting it flow through us. Yeah, sometimes we got some work to do, but by making sure we're not damming up the flow in the funnel, right? We got some work to do there, but that's it. We just, how do we sit and let him love on us? See, an interesting thing is that every English translation, at least that I looked at this week, every one of them Use these love is this, love is that as adjectives. But if you look at the Greek, they're not adjectives at all. Every word, every phrase is actually a set of verbs. It actually says, you know, if we were to translate it a little more correctly, not that I'm the one who can do that, but it might go something like this. Love suffers a long time with patience. Love shows kindness. Love does not burn with envy. It does not get inflated with its own importance. It is never rude or ill-mannered. Rather, love joyfully celebrates truth, gives all kinds of support, never loses faith, never exhausts hope, never gives up. So if you want to be a loving person, live like that. See, what Paul is doing in this passage is he's actually personifying love. How how in the world can we be, be filled up and be able to love like this? We must understand that love is a person. Love is a person. You'll never gonna, you're never, I'm never going to be a loving person if I look at this as a set of guidelines that I've got to kind of pick up. Love is patient, it's kind, and I just got to breathe life into it. You'll never get there. But, but if you see that this is, this love is a living, active power that actually gets a hold of you and breathes life into you, then it's doable. Then we could actually live this out in our community. Love is a power. It's a personal, loving, living, active power. You see, Paul's thinking, obviously, of a very specific person. Paul deals with all throughout this letter. For the first 12 chapters, he's dealing with the character flaws of these young Christians in this church. The infighting, the strife, the bickering, the immorality. And he says, you guys have forgotten the cross. How can you be proud if you look at the cross? How can you be emotionally needy if you remember the cross? See, the cross humbles, but the cross also lifts up. The only way that I'm going to be able to move past my character flaws is to look at Jesus in light of the cross, in light of a person. Tell me, where do we see the the ultimate picture of a person suffering patiently? My God, my God, why have you forsaken? Where do we see the ultimate example of keeping no records of wrong? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And where do we see the ultimate expression of never giving up? Father, not my will, but yours be done. See, if if we see verses 4 through 7 as a set of behaviors, 
we'll never get there. But if you see it, not as a love that you need to do first, but a love that has done, been done to you and for you first, if you see him pouring into you his grace and love and kindness, that'll change everything. I don't know growing up what your impression of God was. But if God is love, if God is love, then God is patient. God is kind. God keeps no record of wrong. God never gives up. Is that your version of God? That's who he is. Jonathan stood up here at the beginning. He says, he's madly in love with you. Receive that. And as you do, you'll begin to become more mature. And when we do, when we grow in this, when we grow in grace, we actually become a gift to our world. So don't hide behind being gifted. Don't hide behind being good. Receive his grace. And the questions we ask in this one, are you growing in it? Are you growing in the grace of our Lord? Are you becoming more self-forgetful, more chill and patient? Do you pour out kindness now more with less effort? Are you stronger and kinder and, and is your prayer life more intimate? Now, please don't mistake being Christian as trying harder, but being born anew, having his grace fill your life daily. And really, I can't even feel, figure it out on a daily basis. It's got to be one of those moment-by-moment -moment surrenders. I just want, I want to read a, a, another verse over us just to kind of wash over our spirits. Maybe you just reflect. For, for some of us, have you viewed God that way? As God is love, he's patient, he's kind, he's never going to give up on you. He's not easily angered towards you. I don't know, again, if you've been told that, but he's not. He's patient, not wanting anyone to perish. So maybe during the, this time, is an opportunity to meet him. Some of the best work that goes on isn't certainly what happens behind this podium, but what happens in the corners. Our, our prayer team is fantastic. You may have a prayer need that has zero to do with what we've talked about today. But if you struggle with any of these love things, if you have kept records of wrong and you just need to release it, you've had a bitterness towards parents or some, somebody who sinned against you a long time ago and you continue to carry it around, I want to encourage you, you don't have to do it anymore. You can just lay it down. If you had a problem with, with being unkind, thinking too highly of yourself, man, it's just take an opportunity. You, you can do it from your own seat. There's nothing magical, but sometimes when two or three are gathered right there in that circle, there he is also. So let me read this last passage over it. Let, let's just let it wash. Let it soak in. I'll read it slowly. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If you have any of you, if any of you have, uh, has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love which binds them together in perfect unity. I really do like how the Passion Translation says this last verse. 
For love is supreme and you must and must flow through each of these virtues. Love becomes the mark of true maturity.